Hey, what you watching? Got a problem with part two? Yeah, so uh, hello and welcome to a very special and makeshift episode of Cartoon Night in Canada. Uh, that is a very deceptive title because we will be not, we will barely be talking about any cartoons. There will be one, and it's Japanese, <laughs> and barely any Canadian stuff. Despite this being a Canadian film festival, I've given away the ghost. We are here at the Fantasia Film Festival in beautiful Montreal, and. Well, you may have noticed uh, from our feed recently that there's been a mini hiatus of sorts. Myself and co-host Sylvie have had life interrupt us multiple times, so it's been impossible to get together and record our little thoughts on children's shows from the past. So this will fill some time and some maybe bring in some new listeners. Uh, and it'll populate your feed. And yes, I should probably introduce a very special guest, a friend of the show uh, and Braceface expert, Thomas Wishloff. Welcome back. I am back. I, I originally assumed that my return would be for Demina Leagues. Uh, no, that's still in the works. Don't, still in the don't, works. Do not count it out. That is absolutely happening, and we have you on contract. Absolutely, 100%. The big problem is the episode of Demina Leagues that we should do is only available in Czech. And I speak zero Czech. So. I, there has to be a way. There has, <laughs> has to be, to be a way. way. There, it has to exist somewhere. At yeah. this point, uh, considering how long we have been doing this, we are like getting close. We're well into our second year of doing Cartoon in Canada. I must have some contacts of, of people, fellow weirdos who just can't let go of Canadian cartoons from the past. Keep passing the tapes kind of thing. Right, yeah. yeah like absolutely. We, and I don't know if I ever told you, but we got a guy to like actually just hand over a bunch of files for Odd Job Jack one time. That's incredible. They, they listened to our episode and said, like, you know what? I have some stuff because we were only able to find one episode, which is still downloadable from the Odd Job Jack website. That's so... That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how you know your podcast has made it, though, right? When, like, the niche topic that you have... Um, does what it does. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, Chris, uh, speaking of the interruption here, Chris, you might want to explain like why the audio sounds like it's a little different. Oh, yes. If you're wondering about the uh, potato audio quality that is uh, currently being pumped out of your earphones, well, we are at the official Fantasia bar, McKibben's Irish Pub, having a grand old time with some brews and some chicken tenders. And They're very good. They're very good, apparently. I did not order food because I am stingy. And we are just... I don't know. We're going to like wing a little episode here because everyone loves live from festival recordings. And outside of the comforts of a well-insulated hotel room, this is the best we can do. Pretty much. We could have also used the, the well-insulated hotel room, but, you know. No, no, no. I like this idea more. Like, it, yeah. And you know what? Oh, I agree. Considering the outsider art quality of a lot of Fantasia programming, I think this is appropriate. I think, yeah, considering how also how scuzzy the festival is in some regards, <laughs> which is not to say that I don't love the festival, but um, how like sometimes it seems like slightly put held together by spit and duct tape. I think having a recording held together by spit and duct tape is like very true to the festival experience. A thousand percent. Now, uh, Thomas, for the uninitiated of our listeners who you know they're mostly into Canadian cartoons, what is Fantasia? 
So Fantasia International Film Festival, I've always described it as the... It's like the genre world horror film festival it, of the summer in North America. It's the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a. It's kind of like a South by Southwest meets Austin. What's the one in Austin in October? Is that Fantastic Fest? That is Fantastic Fest. Yeah, it's kind of like an in between cross of those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of crossover of Fantastic. You see a lot of crossover, I think, of South by Southwest films, but also a lot of crossover of Fantastic Fest films. And yet, it's also a. It's a place where kind of genre fair from around the world, mm-hmm. uh, especially like studio genre fair. We've got a Korean series that ascribes to be the fast oh. and the furious of Korean or, <laughs> uh, Korean cop dramas. Or desperately wants to be. Yes, like that's it, what it, yeah. it aspires to be that, that's absolutely. Its, that's its ascribations. Um, is that a word? Ascribations? No. Aspirations. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. Um, that it wants to do. He is three steps um, into a drink, by the way. Yeah. Oh, I am... I'm 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 feeling it today. In other words, um, <laughs> but like we have that at the festival. It's also a festival where like Broken Circle Breakdown premiered here as a world premiere before going on to be a nominee for best foreign film. So there's like a very like interesting and eclectic mix of cinema. It is a festival that I cannot recommend enough as an experience. And like this might this might sound like I'm putting it down, but it has like the spirit of film fandom like completely woven through both its exhibition and its programming. It is so focused on people who love a very specific kind of strain of film in a very specific way. You know these types of people. Like, you can't walk down the street or, like, walk past a line of a lineup for a film without seeing multiple horror movie t-shirts and tattoos all up and down. Like, I saw somebody today, I shit you not, where on their shoulder it was a tattoo of the scene from In the Mood for Love of Tony Long and Maggie Chung meeting under the awning is like a beautiful tattoo and like these are like you come here when you come here you go like these are my people it's super bizarre because like I love that you bring that up because like probably standing next to that person was a person with a tattoo of like the Hellraiser guy right (laughs) it's like like, this is this is the sort of bridging divide here like hard art cinema like and like I only watch violent horror movies and I like am a card carrying member of like Shudder's yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. newsletter and so on and so forth, right? Oh, yeah, like, these people only have two subscriptions. It's for the Criterion channel and Shudder. Yeah, like, 100%. That is, and, like... Well, no, Arrow Video as well. Yeah, like, Shudder, the Arrow videos, the Arrow Video subscription, and, like, Criterion channel, that's, like, the ideal place to be for this festival. And it's it just... It's one of the better festivals just to, like, feel a part of a community. Which is 100% true. It's incredibly, because it's so DIY, like, we're sort of... So... I, I got a press pass for this festival. Um, not saying anything about what happened to your press pass. <laughs> oh yeah, let's not spend twenty minutes on <laughs> the, the rant, the gong show that was that. Um, oh. But it's like I don't have any. Despite having a press badge, I don't get a ticket. I just have to get my press badge line, and then they scan my press badge when I enter. Yeah, you the you, theater. And if you want like, placement, you have to want to be there. Wait in line, which I think is like so hilarious because like. It feels very much like there's no. It's like if TIFF mashed the P and I screenings to the regular screenings, and like that's kind of the best way I can describe that entire process. Um, which then means like you feel very at home, mm-hmm. kind of in the festival. And speaking of TIFF, like this is a great place to see some uh, previews of the program for Midnight Madness. 100. percent We are. There's a couple here. There's at least one film here that I'm like. If Peter Kopowski is listening to this, Peter, I'm gonna we'll send you the audio. 100. percent Though, like this is like. Like would fit in perfectly at Midnight Madness. Uh, the one I saw last night as well. After uh, you left, great. like it yeah. would be perfect for that. Like I, that's all I could think about watching that film. But yes, we are here and we saw a lot. We saw um, a lot and of movies, 
some good, some bad, some indescribable. Uh, and I'm at 18 at this point. I am at significantly less because I I don't have a press pass and I was paying out of my pocket and my shitty immune system could not handle the Montreal air and knocked me out for a couple of days. So and then we went to the drugstore. We got pumped full of cold meds and then you were better. Right, like magic. Yes, uh, Thomas took care of me uh, because he is a very good friend and only repeat guest, only guest of Cartoon Night in Canada so far because we're not good at that. But you know, we're, we're, we're making it work. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Okay, so shall we just begin at the beginning? Yeah. So the first film that both myself and Thomas took in an opening night film, not the one that people wanted to see. Uh, the White Storm 3, Heaven or Hell, directed by Herman Yao, the third entry in the now lucrative White Storm series, which I'm just going to assume is going to last till 7, 8, 9, 10, as many as the ex-exploitation director Herman Yao can just crank out. Is this the action lucrative? That's fascinating. Like, it's, it's got to be, right? Like, it I'm has to be. I'm assuming... It has to sell tickets in Hong Kong, right? Yes, because I... It's not a great. Uh, it's not. It's not a great sign of whether or not it's making money. But there is a certain number of budget on screen. It's a huge, huge. Like that is, I think, the one thing you can say positive about White Storm Three is that it has a very clear budgetary line. They are willing to waste a lot of money on a lot of explosions and a lot of squids. Well, not squids. Digital uh, effects for the blood. Uh, what are your thoughts on the White Storm Three? I think the most interesting thing about this is because the opening the opening film was um, the new Pascal Plante film La Chambre Rouge. Pascal Plante is a one of the most prominent uh, Quebecois directors mm. working alive right now. His first film Nadia Butterfly was like a gen- like played at Cannes, like it was in the yeah, festival yeah. at Cannes. Like the guy the guy is like a well known name, and I think he has a number of like famous Quebecois actors in the film. And it's a huge departure from his usual work. Absolutely, like, like it, it's a CD. Um, I don't know, like true crime esque, like true crime adjacent. Yeah, if you know the title, the like, Red Rooms, it's like it's yeah. it's a uh, it's capitalizing on a well known internet creepypasta kind of rumor of snuff films being shot on location. Right, like like that. absolutely. Like it's it's super lurid. Um, like great film to open the festival because of that. Yeah, it was like we were delayed basically an hour for our screening. Um, oh my god, that's right. <laughs> for which, which was really funny. And so we sit down and watch this film and like so loud. That was the first thing that like you and I both. I was like, oh my god, this is the loudest movie ever made. Well, you you, you were saying like the the, um, the acoustics in the theater are usually good. I'm saying like, is this because it's the first like day and they haven't figured out the actual sound system? Because my ears were ringing after the first of like a thousand gunshots rang out. Mostly, I think though, it's just because of the mix. Is it's the mix is ri- not ridiculous? Great. Yeah, it's it's so over the top. The whole thing is over the top. The biggest problem I think with this film is like. Uh, doesn't Herman Yao does not know, know what blocking is? Not at which all. Renders all of the action for a like film that needs that is like a high end action thriller, um, kind of inert and useless and incomprehensible. Um, the third act of this is my favorite Riverdale episode. That's basically <laughs> I can describe what happens at the end of this film. Oh, checking the uh, checking the timer here. How long did it take for us to get to Riverdale? Not long. Twelve minutes. Thirteen. <laughs> Give or take. Um, what are your thoughts, my friend? Uh, I think you nailed. Uh, I, I think you nailed it on the head there. It's um, like my, my main takeaway was like I have seen this exact kind of direct-to-video action film dozens of times over, and you would you would be thinking with a uh, yeah behind the camera there would be something interesting happening, but no, it is uh, it is completely dependent on tired and boring cliches and 
ridiculous tropes. And it would be completely forgivable if the action was interesting, visceral, or affecting, and it's just not. Or there was something on screen that was interesting, but the whole thing is kind of a disaster. Um, the last, not to spoil the film, but the last shot of the, the last like two seconds of this film is essentially a non sequitur ad for Hong Kong. <laughs> like, like this is where this is again is the kind of uh, confidence I have in saying like there's some budget here because they have corporate sponsors. Like 100%. <laughs> like this has to be super uh, valuable. What do you give this out of five? Uh, I am giving this a solid uh, two bricks of heroin out of five. No, one point five bricks. I'm gonna give it two. I'm gonna give it two and a half. I think, which is what I gave two and a half stars out of five, which is what I gave it uh, in my review. Mostly because I was like, eh, kind of. I think the really interesting question about this film is, I think it does everything it sets out to do, but none of it's good. It just does it poorly. Yeah, like <laughs> right, like. But I'm like, if you set out to make a really silly and loud action movie, and you really succeeded in that regard, is that mean it was a success? Very hard it, to it's, tell. It's such a low bar to clear, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't clear it. And like, I and I think you mentioned after we're leaving it, it's like, man, it's kind of tragic that this is what Herman Yao is doing. Yeah. Oh, it's super hilarious. Um, so, uh, not pl- we didn't see this together. I got this through by a screener. Um, that I saw before the festival, but playing also that night was a film titled Mami Wata by CJ Fiery Obasi. Uh, film premiered at Sundance in January. It is a Nigerian British co production. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a folkloric thriller. Film. I was getting those vibes in the trailer, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I think. It, it really hard for me to talk about because as a like white dude, it's very hard for me to kind of understand what he's doing in the film because I think that there is a lot more intentionality to the things that kind of upset me. Mm-hmm. But there, there is also some weird transphobia. There's like weird anti-vax things, like it, it, all over the place. I think the reality is like beautiful looking, gorgeously shot. Maybe don't try and read too much into what it's doing and just sort of accept on its face that, that it's can apply. To, that can apply to so many films all festival. in the program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but just like don't really read too much into what's trying to do. Just sort of enjoy the atmosphere and just sort of accept that it's an anti-colonialism play. Um, the next day, you and I saw. Oh, well, wait, what are you giving that? Oh, right. I'm gonna give that uh, three out of five. Three out of five. I think I gave it in my review. Perfect, perfect. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about the roundabout way we saw the roundup, No Way Out, directed by Lee Sang-yong. So originally, we were both going to see Return of the Street Fighter, which I ended up watching later, and we'll get into that a bit later in the episode. But that screening was canceled and moved to another date. So we showed up at the Cinematheque, where we thought it was realized our mistake and like basically booked it um, to Concordia campus where the film where the main sort of festival is taking place uh, and ended up making it in time to see Mondiong Sook punch stuff for yeah, two hours it is Don Lee's punchinarium like that is so the, the round of No Way Out is a fascinating series that is uh, developing because uh, no I, idea this existed until this week by the way because uh, it's, it's only the second in like three that is called The Roundup. The first one is called something else I can't remember right now. But um, essentially, the uh, producers behind these films, they're trying to make their own Fast and Furious franchise. They're going for over-the-top cop gangster action premises that is all built around, like the entire franchise is built around how, how hard and furious this one character can punch things. And you have a winner here. I I will say this. I liked when stuff got punched. <laughs> See, that is the great that is the great gimmick of this film is that somehow it never got old. No, it's like 
perpetually like there's a little bit of a sideshow Bob Rake theory <laughs> to it. that's a great way no but like because it's like at a certain point it just goes from being like funny to absurd and yes. that's why it's funny like no challenges whatsoever like every single kid nobody really puts up a fight he just sort of just kind of punches people really really hard and um, at one point you were like, it's live action One Punch Man. <laughs> it's a live action One Punch Man, or it's the right way to adapt the Yakuza video game franchise. Like That's actually a good answer there, yeah. Like, unbelievable fits of strength that are impossible for human beings. Like, no one can literally punch that hard. But like this man does it. But Don Lee finds a way. And credit to the action choreography and the fight scenes like they're all so very inventive and like vigorous like it's it's well done yeah. like the plot is whatever like th this is the issue with the Herman Yao film is like like it doesn't really matter like it's a little convoluted it's a gangster cop drama you don't really need anything because you're just waiting for the next scene of Don Don Lee punching the shit out of gangsters, and every time it is thrilling. It's like I think you hit the nail on the head there, though. Like there is, I think if you're like thinking about what's the difference between this and the Herman Yao, because I think they're spiritually extraordinarily similar. This has something that's holding its core together, and that is Donnelly punching stuff. Yeah, um, I give it uh, five, or I give it four crack skulls out of five. Yeah, like I, like I would say it's a four bruised knuckles out of five. five yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, I'm liking this. Yeah. Okay. So I then actually no, I'll do Chinese Ghost Story. Then you can go with. You go ahead. And okay. One of the really cool things about this festival is Fantasia is not just a what's currently releasing festival. It's been an extraordinarily robust uh, rap cinema side festival. Mm -hmm. um, so part of the part of the festival this year, there's a Jiraj Harage career retrospective. Uh, there's a screening of Peppermint Candy. Yeah. Uh, the Li Chandong classic. Um, there also are two Hong Kong classics on 35 millimeter. One of which is a Chinese ghost story by I'm gonna, I think it's Ching Su Sing. I think I'd have to. I Ching Su uh, Sing. Yeah, you got it. Ching Su Sing. Ching Su Song. Ching Su Song. Okay. Um, wonderful. Like I will say, somebody's base print that they had in their basement that they donated to the festival for use. Um, mistranslated subtitles abounded. Uh, the film is totally crazy. There is a rap song at one point in the middle. Oh my god, um, I did not know this. <laughs> yeah, there's, a rap, there's a random rap song in the you middle. You buried the lead here when you were talking about this. My audience loved it. Um, so much fun. Uh, my review is Love Gives You Love Makes You Parkour, which is the uh, <laughs> which is what my uh, which is what my tenth grader said about the film Romeo and Ju Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> um, and so thus I give it Love give, Love Makes You Parkour at a five. Perfect. Great. I'm, I'm devastated I missed this, but although I had another screening that time, uh, so I missed my screening of Shin Kamen Rider, The Becomers, which we'll talk about later, and uh, the first Slam Dunk. I was able to catch up on one of those because, well, the internet is a wonderful place, and the day that it was playing the festival, Shin Kamen Rider, the latest directorial effort by Hideki Anno, uh, it went wide on Amazon Prime in 200 countries. And I was able to find it through totally legal means. We'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, Shin Kamen Rider is... So, the way I've been uh, turning around in my mind, of this, like, Shin series that has been developing, of, like, these old tokusatsu, usually Toho products, uh, properties, Shin, Go Shin Gojira, Shin Ultraman, and now Shin Kamen Rider, it is the most personal of the three because Hideki Anno is a self-professed 
Kamen Rider fan. It's kind of how he got to start making a uh, Kamen Rider fan film. And he wants to desperately do right by his fandom. And that's kind of the issue here because he takes it way too seriously. Like, he tries to inject a lot of his uh, normal themes that like are, are are bountiful in all of his films. Like, the pain of knowing other people uh, or, like, the... These grand, these, these grandiose, uh, like the world connectiveness, like connectiveness with like other people and how difficult that is, and it doesn't really work for Common Rider. Like it feels so out of place when he's taking what is a very silly and fun martial arts tokusatsu series and injecting a lot of these heavy themes into it. Right. But that being said, Hideki Anno as director. These action scenes are fascinatingly kinetic. Like, it's almost like for every action scene that he had, he was attempting to strip down every unnecessary shot. So they feel disjointed and awkwardly stitched together, but all of the impact is maintained. It's really interesting. I just wish that the story itself, the narrative tone. Yeah, it, it, like it's a little, um, it's being pulled in too many directions, but. I had a good enough time with it. I would give it 3.5 flying, uh, flying karate kicks out of 5. Awesome. Um, okay, so then I I got to see Sympathy for the Devil, which is the latest uh, vehicle in Nick Cage, whatever the this current era of Nick Cage is, the I am a meme, I guess, era of the Nick Cage Embracing era. of the meme, yeah, yes. embracing I'm, I'm out of dead, and now I can actually have fun making yeah. movies again. Um, which is sort of fascinating. I sort of made the joke before the festival that uh, my Nick Cage is uh, National Treasure knowing Nick Cage, where he was like kind of a sort of like fringe star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the, and still crazy, obviously, if you've seen those films. But like also not aiming for it, which I think is one of the weird things about Nick Cage. This is kind of in between what you want it to be. It's not quite serious and good enough to actually be like a really good film, and it's not quite ridiculous enough to be a cult favorite classic. It's being right? lost like, in like the prism of Nicolas Cage's stardom. Right, like like it's not like Mom and Dad. Not Mom and Dad. It's and not, it's not Maddie. Not Maddie. Right? Like, okay, that's perfect. In between yeah. those two those two things, if I'm thinking like recent Cage pictures, uh, Cage basically plays a guy who abducts Joel Kinnaman from Suicide Squad. Um, while he's driving to pick up his ways at the hospital to like see his pregnant wife, and they I'm, sort of all, I'm the... already disinterested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of things going on. Um, the film is really good in its third act, actually, which is sort of the thing that saves this. Um, but most of it is just like you can sort of chart the first two acts by like Nick Cage asks Kidman to do something, he stoically tries to refuse as a point of pride, I guess. Then Nick Cage goes crazy. And that's kind of like what you do for two acts. And then the third act is a little bit of a twist and a reveal that makes it quite quite interesting in some regards. Um, I give it uh, a How to Get Burned Out of Five. How um, to Get Burned Out of Five, yeah. I will say, you should probably see it in, in, at your house with subtitles. The mix is dreadful. Oh, I like, love it's that. It's really bad. Um, and I cannot imagine it. Like, I was like, seeing this at the Cineplex would just be like a nightmare, right? Yeah, like, you can take the actor out of the directed video uh, films, but you can't take the directed video films out of the actor. Um, so then I saw The Becomers, which you unfortunately missed. Yeah. Uh, uh, Zach Clark's latest. Uh, the Man is Back. Zach Clark, director of White Reindeer and... 
uh, Little Sister, which was, I think, Richard Brody's favorite film of 2016. I think that's right, yeah. Um, Little Sister was a Fantasia program film. It was. I saw, I, to spoil, like, thank you for mentioning that, I saw Fantasia, when I was last at Fantasia in 2016 as a broke college student, kind of here on my own, pitched <laughs> all my pennies to come here. Uh, I saw the, I saw Little Sister and was, like, overwhelmed by it. You had no idea this film existed, um, and now you're, like, going to check this out because it's a story about a nun that likes Clark. And you were like, like, well, how about no, I yeah, see like <laughs> you piqued my interest because I felt like I, when you mentioned that premise, I was like, I think I know what that is, right? But like, yeah. apparently, no, no. Um, the Becomers is his latest. I think it's. I have to. Katie and I have a plan. My partner Katie, who's been staying with us, um, and I have a plan to watch Little Sister when we get back. I think this is better, but I need to rewatch Little Sister to like confirm. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels a little bit like an evolution of the things he's been doing in the past. The story is essentially about these two aliens that kind of do a lot of body swapping. They have to possess human bodies to stay alive. Goes to some really wild places. As you expect. As you expect, but ultimately in sort of Zach Clark style, it's a text about two things. One, how we try to put a lot of faith and stock in politicians to save us, and they never will because they're ineffectual mm-hmm. and really we should be trying to make connections with each other which too it's a story about trying to make connections with people that are out there um, like I don't know love it like actually genuinely wonderful I give it four and a half uh, sunglasses out of five <laughs> so moving on there was another rep screening that you and Katie went yeah, to so we went to see Take Care of My Cat Jong uh, Jong uh, Jong Jae-yoon yeah that's what I thought um, I will be honest I fell asleep, missed 25 minutes, woke up, was very lost. Um, but the cats is, were good. Cats were, oh, the cat was wonderful. The cat was wonderful. Um, Katie's a lot more, like, stark and kind of very honest thing to say about this. Um, I thought it was merely fine. I think this is a film that I imagine had, I know that, like, looking at Letterboxd after, this is a film that has a very, like, specific cult following because it's so slice of life and mm-hmm. so much about who we are as people um, in a number of senses and about connection and about growing up. Um, also kind of sleepy, not really doing anything. Feels very Shinji Iwa, which is probably why it also has that cult following. Absolutely. It's got that same sort of vibe. Uh, I give it the cat was good out of five. Right, because it cat was good out of five. He's uh, just a little guy. I mean, uh, spoiler alert, that is going to be my score for uh, another film coming up. The uh, cat was good out of five. <laughs> um, but I was, this is a, about the t- point when my body was well enough to be in a theater with a bunch of strangers, and I saw Larry Yang's Ride On, the latest effort in the Jackie Chan mature oeuvre that he's been building, where it constantly seems like he's attempting to reflect on his career and his body breaking down, but not really. It's a, His no. movies are about his movies. It's movies are Film. about his movies. Listen, um, there has been a clip going around on Twitter of Jackie Chan and what was purported in the original tweet to be his daughter, but it's not. It's just this actress from this movie. Um, re- watching clips from his movies and him just grimly looking back both out of pride and out of shock about how much pain and torture he took for our entertainment. Mm -hmm. And that is the best and most affecting scene in the entire film. Uh, It, because the rest of this film, is Jackie Chan being super sad about his good horse being taken away by mean businessmen. What's your... your, Oh, keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, it is... um, The sad thing here is that it's trying to make a lot... It's trying to 
be both this tribute to the Hong Kong action cinema of Jackie Chan and his contemporaries, but it's also a weird counter against it because it wants to have. Speaking of both sides of its mouth, it wants to both say like these films had their place in time in our history, but also we are all much worse off as people for making them. Yes. And it's also just countered with this really sappy and saccharine story of a horse that Jackie Chan's uh, elder stuntman character is taking care of. It's another film being pulled in way too many directions, and it's edited terribly. Like, the, the number of stories that it has going on in relationships, none of them come across as sincere or interesting because the film is just being constantly pulled in all these different directions. So I would give this one failed stunt out of five. <laughs> Oof rough. Um, so we then met up to see, uh, hey, it's Cartoon Night in Canada. Uh, Finally, here's the programming <laughs> part that you can actually pay attention to. Uh, we saw Sandland based off of a manga by Akira Tokiyama? K- Toriyama. Toriyama. Akira Toriyama. I, I, I am the like, no idea what's going on. This is his world, so he's got all the details and specifics. Welcome to... Have some interspliced pieces. Welcome to my world, bitch. Um, <laughs> so this is the... Sandland is an underappreciated manga in Toriyama's bibliography. Uh, kind of settled right after uh, he, he really hit for stuff like Doctor Slump and the Dragon Ball, obviously the Dragon Ball franchise. Um, this is directed by Toshihisa Yokoshima, and well, it's basically in the adaptation. It's basically every post-apocalyptic desert film you've ever seen all mashed together. This is like Toriyama's kind of thing where he wears his inspirations on his shoulder, on his sleeve rather, to an unfortunate fault. But the film is just like a really thrilling action ride through the desert. All of Toriyama's art is wonderfully rendered in CGI animation, and you'll have a good time with this. I, I think I said this. How many times did I say... Holy shit, it's actually Mad Max Fury Road. Like, probably at least half a dozen. Um, half a dozen, probably, yeah. Yeah, I think as as the as the person who's not super into anime and is, like, pretty basic when it comes to that, um, I liked it. I think there are things that I didn't get, but also I'm, like, not going to fight too hard that I didn't understand. Um, thought it was fun. Yeah, it's... Uh, Toriyama is... Uh, he is, is, he's his own unique brand, and this one, like, when it started to do, like, when the film started to really lean into, like, the Toriyama style and his sense of humor, it's when it's like, well, that doesn't seem to really fit with anything else, right. but it's only because it's it's his kind of work, and that, yeah. that appears in everything. But it's so funny you say, like, oh, this is Mad Max Road, because it's also Tank Girl, it's also yeah. Dune, it's, it's also... Like, so many different, so many different things going on within the film. All right, so how many grains of sand would you give it out of five? I am going to give this... Um, Jesus, I, I had a better joke for this, and I don't know what my... Oh, I sorry, I, I did I not mean it. to step That's over okay. your better joke. No, I lost it. This is totally fine. I give this a uh, hot spring out of five. Hot spring out of five. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this a oasis run by a genocided people out of five. No, no I'm actually... <laughs> I'm going to give this sometimes following orders is okay out of five. Yeah, that was the other weird side uh, side plot of the text. Um, Politically, it's a little wonky. Yeah, a little bit wonky. Um, did you see anything after that? No. Uh, Before then, Bloody Dark and Deep? Yeah, we met up for that. So, okay, let's, so let's get into the hot take corner. Okay, so I... Uh, I got I got to basically see Talk to Me, which releases tomorrow or rather this evening. Um, the latest uh, this thing. Okay, 
first thing I want to say is this thing is going to have a billion and one fans. It already does. Yeah, already does. Like it is going. People are going to be talking about this thing for the next decade. Um, it is directed by two gentlemen, uh, the Philippou brothers, uh, Danny Philippou and Michael yeah. Philippou, the um, Raka Raka YouTube, yeah, YouTube guys. Um, I did not like it. Um, my sort of take coming out of the film was, and I and you have to keep in mind too, like I am. I have very little time for the like wah elevated horror whining of the last like five years. Mm -hmm. um, mostly because I'm like of the opinion that well, like everybody was complaining about slasher movies in the '80s, and they were complaining about torture porn in the in the early 2000s, right? And this is just I know, the it's latest. true, it's true. But it's just the reality of like every time the thing that appears quite a bit is appearing quite a bit. People complain about those tropes. Um, it's the nature of how things work. This is the first time I really was like, I kind of get it. We. Uh, really my sort of way I can describe this is best defined as it is one thing to be Ari Aster and lose sight of the mental health allegory in the third act. It's another thing to lose sight of the anti-drug PSA in the third act of this thing. Uh, total disaster. There's about three or four really effective scenes, which is what I think people are gonna why I think people are gonna really like it. Joe Bird uh, out here putting in the whole team on his back. Like actually one of the best like 14-year-old performances I've seen in a while. There's like an impressive physicality that the role depends upon. Um, I don't think this kind of works uh, at all at the end, and I think it really just kind of doesn't come together at all. But I was much more annoyed about why this didn't come together than something like uh, Marry My Dead Body or Les Rascals later in the later in the in the festival. Um, so I yeah I was not a big fan. I also think like I am very much out of tune with the band on this one. Um, people will probably like it. You'll probably have a good time watching it in a number of senses. Please do not try and like actually think what the theme of the film is and just sort of turn your brain off. Because like the second I started doing that, that's when I was like, this is not good. Um, I give this the I give this a uh, this guy was on the KSI Logan Paul fight card out of five. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did not know that until recently. Yeah. Oh my god! As I started doing research about this, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. So okay. the real tragedy here is like I'm probably gonna end up liking this film and feel super bad about it. Yeah, so like it's it like. Years ago, I remember saying, like, at some point, we're going to get the generation of filmmakers who, for whom the reference is YouTube. Like, the, like they built their style off of YouTube. The, the cultural re reflection they have is, like, YouTube, Let's Plays and whatnot. Like, that's how they understand things. And we're getting... This is another step closer to that. It is two guys who... And they, they, they can actually make a film, too. There's a number of, like, really wonderful spots, which gives me hope that they might figure it out eventually. But this is, like, two guys who are YouTubers have, having access to, like, a budget for a horror film. Well, I mean, they can't all be... Um we're all going to the World's Fair. Right, like, yeah. But, like, I also think that like, you can see the difference, though, too. Right, like, Shore Brun is, like, actually, like, making a text about, like, emotions and, like, being human, and this is a text a lot about, like, trying... Like, I think the end of this text is such a ha-ha gotcha moment, right? Like, Oh, that's unfortunate. It feels like, it feels like how they would end a YouTube video um, in a number of senses. And, like, I almost half expected it to be like, thanks for watching, guys. Make sure you hit like and subscribe oh. at, at, at the end, right? Like, you can kind of sort of... That's sort of what I felt with it. Again, I do think people are going to really like this. That's... Um, which that's, is fine. That's deeply important. Which is fine. Like, it's totally okay if people are allowed to have the things that they like. We then got a chance to check out uh, Black Mirror writer Teresa Sutherland's directorial debut, uh, Lovely Dark and Deep. Is it Black Mirror or was it uh, Midnight Mass? I can't... I think it might be, might be Midnight Mass. I think it's I Midnight Mass. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. One of those two. I just filed a review for this thing. Um, so, speaking so of... you would know. Speaking of tired, uh, elevated horror tropes, um, I came across as... 
in the minority on this one where I was not a fan in the slightest. I mean, talk about third act completely derailing the film because I. So th this is. Um, this is about a park ranger played by Georgina Campbell of Barbarian, Barbarian fame, uh, searching for a lost sibling in the deep, in the uh, the deep greenery of a national park, and the film is at its best when it is teasing out this mystery and intrigue around the disappearance of people within parks, which is a real fear and anxiety many people have. Absolutely, but. I don't know, like, I I think I was on the out here where I began to feel it just meandering and rambling on. The thing is, I don't think you were. Like, I think you were just sort of on the out I uh, with Katie and I, who both kind of dug it. Mm. I think most people actually seem to have the same, like... The filmmaking is great. Like, yeah. It's taking great use of a natu of uh, an onset location and the cinematography, the editing. It's like it's well structured up to a point for me. It's like you don't you don't teach high school and I do, so I like have a thank really, God like, for that. Yes, but I <laughs> I have a very like specific point with this, which is like every once in a while you meet kids that like they know what semicolons are, they know what double dashes are, they can use a lot of different things, okay. and they, but they really kind of can't actually make any arguments. They know the grammar, but not the use. Right, and this is like a thing, this is like a film that feels like she, like she knows what all the techniques are, but doesn't really know how to bring it together. Um, that's sort of how I would describe this. I was willing to buy the technical impressiveness of it more than I think you were, and I think that's sort of where our we differ a touch. Um, but I do think you are 1,000% correct. The third act of this film is, is is a bit weak. It doesn't really know where she's going uh, with it. I give it uh, Camping is Scary out of five. Yeah. <laughs> I will, I'll give it the Blair Witch Project did it better out of five. Um, okay, so then next day uh, we have to diverge. I went and saw Tiger Stripes, which is the film of the festival uh, for me, like 100%. Like, this is, this thing absolutely rules. Since, um, since you already started, please go ahead. Like, I've yeah. requested the screener and I don't think I'm ever going to get a I, response. My feeling on this, though, is like this is absolutely going to get a release. Um, put this on your watch list. Uh, the film directed by directorial debut of one An Amanda Nell Yu. Yep. Yo, oh. Um, it is a Malaysian Taiwanese Singapore co production. Uh, the film won the Cannes Side Festival in 2023. Um, film Boutique has picked it up. It will get released in some capacity. Uh, kind of. So, the sort of really interesting thing about this film is like you have to go into this. Re recognizing that it's not actually a movie about periods. It is like a, a movie about how society treats people in a number of senses. It's about societal repression. Uh, I think the disconnect is it is a, it feels very body horror. It is a body horror film about a girl who has a period and starts to like develop the features of a tiger, hence the tiger stripes. But actually it's about the fact that everybody around her treats her like a animal as she like grows into being a woman and whatnot. It is... That does sound great. That sounds... It's actually really wonderful. Um, so funny stretches, also deeply, deeply heartbreaking. Um, the end, of, without spoiling the end of the film, uh, my like feeling is we love a Beau ass ending. Like it is so much wonderful, so many wonderful things in this film. I, I think my theme of my festival is films that I think were really smart, but also didn't quite put all the pieces together. 
and I think Constantine, yeah. this worked really well because it does put all the pieces together I think at the end like I get every single thing it's doing um, thing kind of rules in a number of senses rating? Uh, I give this a full 5 out of 5 like like 100% like no jokes here like full full 9 yards this is probably my second favorite film of the year behind Last Lives oh wow point. okay so it's only with, with, and I try very hard not to like oversell things but I think this does rule pretty hard I mean it, where I'm here it's like a much better version of Ginger Snaps yeah, like it's kind of it's in that same vein. I sort of I use the comparison to the Exorcist. Exorcist thank you so much. Um, in a number of senses, right? Because there is like an exorcism at one point that's mm-hmm. like deeply upsetting. Um, most of the horror in the film is actually not related to the body horror. Again, it's related to how people treat her, which I think is so brave and smart to do in a number of senses. Interesting. Um, I think it's a great film. Uh, tell me about Sunny Chiba. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, actually, I have something before that. Um, but first, first. Um, I want to surprise you with this. Um, do you know who's handling the distribution of this? No. Okay, so I was looking, because I was looking for a screener for this. I think it's Films Boutique. It's, like the, it's Films yeah. Boutique. Uh, do you know what they're selling right now? I'm telling you right now. podcasting is not a visual medium. I'm shaking my head. Yes. So no, like, uh, this is something that you. I'm telling you right now because you're absolutely going to buy this. I'm going to scream. Um, on their Film Boutique website, they have a, ta- a tab that says stuff. And it's like seven items, some posters, some DVDs of something that they released, and one piece of apparel. It is a t-shirt with just Lav Diaz's face on it. Right, so um, they can, I can make the checkout to who? Is what you're yes. <laughs> like, like, oh my god, that's wild. As, okay. soon, like, as, as soon as I went on my quest to find the screener for this, it's like, oh... I would tell Thomas about this, but he probably has the t-shirt already, right? I don't, apparently. Uh, but no, but it, it's coming, along with all of your collegiate football stuff. Yes, all of the, <laughs> the pup, pa- pup pack. Uh, so I started, uh, which day was this? Was this, uh, this is Monday. It was Monday? Yeah. Oh, we have so much more to go. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah, we're only halfway here. Uh, so I started my Monday with the Fantastic Golem Affairs, uh, the latest directorial effort. I jumped over you, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry about it. Uh, the latest directorial effort by Juan Gonzalez and Nando Martinez, collectively known... Burning Persebus? Yeah, Persebus. Um, it's a fantastic, surreal Spanish comedy that knows exactly what it's going for uh, and hits those marks effortlessly. This is this is like an early highlight of my festival. Um, mainly because not only is because the thing about the Fantastic Golem Affair is it's a magical kind of realist surrealism where it's taking a lot of fantastic concepts and just running with them to a fault. And what's so great about it is I mean the filmmaking is spectacular. It's all very understated. It's using these gorgeous one room giant sets. Where and it's built out of these long takes and I like I was just immediately charmed by it because all the combo all the comedy was hitting. It reminded me a lot of the comedy of uh, someone I mentioned recently, uh, Julio Torres. Yes, it is. It's done in the same vein, but it's also like a really cogent, uh, sympathetic story about how it feels to be like a burnout in your late twenties and feeling that your life is being controlled by these both major corporations and family constraints that are far, so far out of your comprehension that they seem weird and oddly supernatural. Yeah, so... Um, What's... Is it, is it funny? That's the first question I'm going to ask here. High comedy, right? Yes. Oh, like, non-stop laughs. Every joke was hitting, and even when it wasn't, like, another joke was coming immediately after. Like, it does not betray anything. It is full comedy mode. 
one of the things I think is really interesting about this festival, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, got some spice down my throat. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about this festival is they have a lot of slots for things. Yes. Um, there's usually some kind of absurdist Spanish, Latin American comedy somewhere. Like the first year I was here, I watched a literally a Spanish sex comedy, like teen sex comedy, that was like. <laughs> Like almost as if someone had like transported like American Pie or Euro Trip right to like 2016. Um, the formula so, just send it, yeah. send it abroad. Exactly, um, and I'm assuming this is also like very, very humorous in a very sense. Mm, absolutely, like I, I was generally shocked on how well the comedy is working because it. It's running at its own pace in terms of like the weirdness of it. Yes. Like you have to accept a lot because uh, I can't really get into any of the plot without giving away a lot of the good jokes. So, like yeah, so uh, early highly for me, I would give it four pieces of a shattered best friend out of five. Nice, um, Sunny Chiba. Talk about Sunny Chiba. Sunny Chiba is the greatest action star to ever live. I mean, speaking of the praise of Don Lee, uh, to see this man just express himself as he's waiting to beat the ass of anyone who's willing to step to him. It is... It's wonderful. So, yes, I saw a rep screening of The Return of the Street Fighter by, directed by Shigi, Shigihiro Ozo, Ozawa. Um, had a wonderful time. That's probably the rowdiest screening I've ever been in. They were so ready to laugh, cheer, and just fast in the masculine glory of Sonny Chiba, as well as the shocking star of the film, Quebec's own Claude Gagnon, in, awesome. <laughs> in a supporting role as leader of the Italian Mafia. That's awesome. So, yeah, um, it's best it's best enjoyed with your expectations fully on, this is a 70s Kung Fu exploitation film. Just go in, have fun. I had a great time. I love the first Street Fighter. I love the second Street Fighter now that I've seen it. The Street Fighter. Yep. And Sonny Chiba, rest in peace. You were a real one. Uh, I'll give it a R.I.P. Sonny Chiba out of five. Quentin Tarantino loves this film, right? He does. Yeah. He loves Sonny Chiba to a fault. Um, he we, put him in Kill Bill. We then all three of us met up. I think it was our first screening, all three of us together. Second. Because we did Lovely Dark and Deep together. Yep. Um, we saw Mary Gotterman's Booger. Booger. Um, we got booger hairball bags before the fest, before the feature. Official booger barf bags, which were very much written on with magic marker before the screening. This has the greatest. I'm gonna say this. Kalia Hire is a, like, thank you, thank you, is a literal genius. Uh, this is the greatest guerrilla marketing campaign for a film I've ever seen. Um, there were missing cat posters. Have you seen booger all around the venue? All over the Concordia all campus. All over the Concordia campus. So funny. We're gonna try and see if we can steal one and bring it home. Like. High quality. Uh, the film is the directorial debut of one Mary Doderman. I, I really liked it. I was enamored with it. This is this uh, sir, this completely replaced Fantastic Golden Affairs as my favorite thing I've seen at this festival. It's it's so sharp. It's so funny, and it uses um, it uses its premise of this Greek metaphor being expressed as like a cat people anim animalistic transformation. So well, like I was completely charmed by it throughout the entire time. Uh, yeah, I loved Booger so much. There's about three or four... The thing about Booger, too, is it's not just like a body horror 
brief play, it's also incredibly smart. There's about, without spoiling things, there are about three or four really small touches in the film, one of which does feature the song uh, Escape, the Pina Colada song. By Rupert Holmes? Yeah, which everybody, knew, but it's like such a smart choice because everybody knows the words to this, and thus when subtle shifts in that song happen, you like actually can clue in like, oh, this means things are changing, she's changing, right? like you can understand a number mm. of different things. A ton of really smart things, also super funny. On super funny. That, like, really like hot, ideal film. I performance of the festival for me is Grace Goldwicky as uh, um, Anna and this film. Like phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Like impressively physical and facial and just like a number of different things this film is doing in a, in a number of different ways. Um, I can't I cannot wait for people to see this thing. Like I cannot recommend that enough. I hope it gets I hope it gets picked up by something and distributed because it needs to be seen by a larger audience. It's it's the kind of thing you come to Fantasia for, is these like oddball, off-kilter, but deeply felt films. Um, I also, playing at night, I had a screener for the film Restore Point by... I think it's oh, hold Robert. on, hold on. What are we giving Booger? Oh, sorry. I give it, uh, it's a good cat out of five. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> it, it is a best boy out of five. Best boy out of five. Um, I, sorry, I completely forgot that. I saw Restore Point, the first check science fiction film in 40 years, directed by Robert Laws as part of a screener. Um, have you read the novel Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto? I have not. You have not. Um, Kitchen is a really, like, Kitchen's wonderful. Can I recommend the novel enough? Um, Kitchen is ostensibly about the ways in which we deal with grief and also... No, wait, I have seen, I have read Kitchen. <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. okay. Wonderful, right? <laughs> ways in which we deal with grief, but also, like, the fact that, like, you know, death is actually a thing that makes life meaningful. And yes. Sense. There's a line in the film where she says, like, I have to keep in mind myself that like death is okay because it makes life meaningful this is a film that's kind of trying to do the same thing but doesn't realize that's what it should be doing um, which mm. is a really bizarre way to describe kind of the film that doesn't really has a lot of good ideas and doesn't really come together as a whole. Again, the theme of this festival for me. Uh, love the love the aesthetics. I think it sets up really well. I think it's also mostly fine at the end of the day. It's far more interested in the luridness of its mystery and plot than it is about the fact that it really should be about what does it actually mean to live in a world where you can't die? Mm. Um, and does that remove our humanity? Which, spoiler alert, kind of does in a number of senses. Um, I then track down the latest Thomas, 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 oh, I, I'm forgetting the bit here I'm so sorry I give this uh, Space Channel exists out of five Space Channel <laughs> exists out of five oh I, I don't think you intended it to be as devastating as it is <laughs> Space Channel exists is a, for a reason out of five uh, from there I got to see the film In My Mother's Skin by Kenneth Dartanigan Dagaton Dagaton um uh, so weirdly, talk to me. Not the worst film in the festival. This is. Ooh, this is yeah. Film. Like I, I heard a little bit of your ranting against this. Uh, please. I describe this as like what would happen if Rene Dumas decided he really wanted to do a like World War Two kids in the house period picture, uh, but like also incredibly like preachy about God at you. The sort of films I think central message is like be, do not give into temptation. Like if you pray to anything but Jesus, your family will be like turned into like cicada monsters that eat each other alive and all terrible things will happen. Uh, probably the feel bad meanest film I saw at the festival all, all year. Um, did not like this. It is beautifully, beautifully, beautifully designed. Like impeccable, impeccable staging, impeccable design. The house is gorgeous. Mm. The color correction for this is phenomenal. Looks like the film looks like it was shot in 1975. Like it's wonderful, 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 wonderful on that front. But 
did not work at all. Uh, number of things I really just did not did not care for, did not like. I give this uh, cicadas are creepy. Don't eat the fruit out of five. <laughs> Beautifully designed horror film. Like there's a number of really good spooks and scares inside of it, and a number of really like intense sequences, which is what I think makes it work. Um, but this is also just like really kind of mean spirited and awful. Well, and as we've been kind of like uh, talking around, is like when your film is shot very well, they can do a lot of talking. You can, you can get away with a lot, really. Like it's sort of one of those things. I remember, like I remember reading a review for Joker years back, where a guy was trying to like convince me that Joker was good because the performance was good. Um, but they did so by saying like the number one thing you want to have is acting, and I actually disagree one hundred percent. The number one thing you want to have is cinematography. Like you can get away with a ton of stuff if the film looks like a film and feels like a film. Uh, and this is kind of a really good example of that in a number of ways. And you can follow Joker on a lot of stuff, but it's like that is a crisp looking film. Yeah, to it has a, a, to it a has, point. It has a, it does have a very like specific aesthetic style that it sticks to. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think the aesthetic style is good? Not necessarily, but also like that is a film that like very much looks and feels like a film, which I think is the thing that saves Joker more even than the performance in right. more senses. And this is kind of the same way. The thing is held together by the fact that it looks wonderful. But it's like really awful and mean. Um, then I saw another period piece after that. Uh, Les Please, continue, yeah. yeah, sorry, I'm on the I'm on the monologue here because because I because you don't have anything until this this next one. Yeah, um, it, like the lack of a press pass has kept me out of a lot of stuff, which so, is but, unfortunate. Um, but I still saw enough. Let's, let's saw enough. Yeah, I Les Rascals by Jimmy Lapoye Chevalier. Tresor. Tresor, yeah. I, Jimmy Lepore, uh, Tresor. Okay, so this is, this thing is really good um, and like really exciting. Um, belies description in a lot of ways. I, my site only allows me to write capsules, unlike yours, which allows you to do full pieces. Uh, this is what I needed a full piece for. Like I was realizing that as I was finishing, putting the finishing touches on my capsule today, I'm like, I needed 300 words just to describe necessary plot components in the film. <laughs> it's a film with a lot of plot. It's a film that's doing a lot of different things. Most of it it's doing well. I don't know if it comes together in the end. Uh, the film is about a group of boys. The sort of premise has been sold as Lahine meets Goodfellas. The former is very apparent. The latter, I don't see it well, at pre- all. Premise sold by, sold by Fantasia. Yes, that's fair. Um, and I and all their captions are bad. Kind of, but I also do think that that is like how it's, the film is trying to be sold to Western audiences. Um, I don't don't see the latter at all. The former, though, is very apparent. It's a story about these five boys, most of whom are, are uh, men of color, uh, growing up in 1984 France on the precipice of the 1984 French elections. Uh, to give a like really, really speedy history lesson, uh, the 1984 French European elections were largely a victory for uh, Le Pen Senior. Uh, whose name I'm the first name I'm forgetting, but like yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I wouldn't. The know. current Le Pen's daddy, um, current Le Pen's daddy, yeah. who ran a uh, party known as the Front National that was essentially like a far right, like anti-immigration, right, yeah, kind of racist party that eventually led to skinheads taking over downtown Central Montreal, Central Paris, not Montreal, Central Paris, um, and the film is set right before that. It is a story about these five boys who, when they're 11, they become friends because when they're 11, they are beat up by a skinhead. Uh, and then years later, they see him, and one of the boys like beats this man and hospitalizes him. And then from there, the film uh, spirals in a number of different directions. There's about four or five really wonderful performances in this film. Uh, the lead actor, who plays Rudy, uh, the central, the like main uh, boy in the Rascals, wonderful. Uh, the 
sister of the skinhead that ends up hospitalized. Fantastic performance. Uh, the guy who plays the lead skinhead doing a lot of like work mm-hmm. to try it like in a thankless role. Um, hard for me to tell. The, I think the film might. I'm still thinking about whether the film is kind of responsible enough or not. But I do think the one thing this film gets more than anything is that like the problem isn't specific individuals and specific things. It's the system, mm. and it's the ways in which like the police exist and the way policing is is incredibly detrimental and upholds a white supremacist state. It's a text about how like immigration policies and like the lack of access afforded to like parts of society by by the upper elite reiterates problems. It's a text in a lot of ways that like really gets it. Um, I don't know if it all comes together. Um, but I think it really works. I have no idea whether this is getting a release, but it's pretty fun in a number of senses. Um, it's a lot of movies. And your rating? Uh, I give this a... Please give me the soundtrack out of five. <laughs> because, like, oh my god, all of, like... Basically, it was, like, if uh, Enemy of the People, like, was uh, Francais. <laughs> Basically, like, phenomenal music out of five. Fantastic. Um, uh, we should also mention that Fantasia has been doing the God's work of curating great soundtracks as leading music to all of their films. This information is apparently available online and both myself and Thomas have been searching for it with to no luck so far. I think I think this was a 2020 thing that has like since not been kept up. But I mean they're still they're still curating soundtracks for every film. So that, that information's yeah. gotta oh, be I, somewhere. I made sure to save as much battery power as I can so I can shazam everything in the theater. Perfect is what I like learned this on the second last day, the penultimate day of the festival. Um, moving from, on moving from on. there we saw the Taiwanese body comedy, body horror comedy queer film, Marry My Dead Body. Marry My Dead Body, directed by Chang Wei Hao. Um, This is a delightfully broad buddy comedy that is shocking. It is frankly unbelievable that it, it doesn't, it's able to toe that line between offensive and okay. Like I, it I really assume, straddles it. Like I assume from the onset, it's like, oh, we're going this direction. This is going to be a disaster. And surprisingly, it managed to be both charming, funny, and the comedy throughout the entire run of this, perfect. Like wonderful in a number of senses. Um, I think my first remark to you was. If Peter Kaposki does not program this for Midnight Madness, there's something wrong. No, no, it would be absolutely perfect for that program. Our audience um, was ostensibly rolling in the aisles throughout the entire entire film. Um, Four or five, like, Katie, I laughed so hard, and afterwards we're talking about it. I think that's the hardest I've laughed at a film ever. Um, it's I, re- like the, the broadness of the comedy works so well for it, and the fantastical premise. Like it's it's all it's like a nice neat package that's also a weird buddy cop satire on is, top of it. Everything. It's a comedy like with slapstick and also like just impeccable timing. Mm-hmm. Like there's one joke towards the end of the film where like, and the film is like brazenly cheekily making fun of the fact that its plot is nonsensical yep. and a lie in the third act. And a character just goes, ah, there's too many trails. <laughs> it's like, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in a film because it was just like, yeah, sure, why not? Kind of ending to the film. Um, very sweet finish the movie. I, I will say slightly, I think slightly a little bit too long, maybe about 15 minutes or so too long. True, true. It, it could have, um, it could have shortened up the runtime a little bit, but I was even shocked by when it dipped into those emotional moments. Um, they still play pretty sincere and genuine. Like no, it's they, like none of this actually like this film has like a complete understanding of the story. Yeah, is the best way to describe it. 
in a number of senses. Uh, I give this a. Um, I completely forgot what I was going to say. I give this a ghost marriage of a five. Give it a ghost marriage of a five. I will give this a $3,000 donation to save the polar bears out of five. That's what I should Save the polar bears out of five. I give this Mal Jr. as a good boy out of five. Mal Jr. Um, is such a good boy. That's a real so good many dog. good boys oh. in this festival. Another running theme. Another, Fantasia yeah. fans love the good animals. Yeah. Um, from there, we got a chance to see Insomniacs After School by Chihiro Ikeda. Yep. Oh. I got one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I got one. Welcome back to my world. Yes. Um, so you knew a lot of the backstory about this. What actually is Insomniacs After School? Insomniacs After School is a manga from 2019 whose author I am completely spacing on. But uh, it became an immediate phenomenon. Like, no sooner, no sooner after was the manga being printed, was there a television adaptation, anime adaptation, and now this feature film adaptation. Uh, that's also the problem with the film, per se, because you have absolutely seen this exact story, premise, structure of a high school romance before, and it does nothing new to reinvent the wheel, but on top of it all, it's very sweet and saccharine and lovely, but way too long. Is Okay, so they mentioned, I saw the centimeters. This is essentially the same plot as like, what's that one where it's like the centimeters from the bottom or the top? Uh, fireworks. Yeah. Fireworks, uh, should we see them from the bottom or the top? Yeah, that's Which was uh, made by, was that a Shinji Iwaka? I think the film is a Shinji Iwaka. I've only seen the bad anime adaptation. Right, uh, which came it. after the Shinji yeah, Iwaka. Which is, which is really bad too. Like, it's not a good, that's not a good film whatsoever. Um, but this sort of has an extraordinarily similar vibe. It is like... It's one of the things I remember hearing years back about like Wachowski, Wachowski was like somebody was talking about Funny Ha Ha and was like you probably think you can do this but you can't do this because you just don't get what he's, doing, what he's really doing here and I think there's a lot of like times people try to mimic Shinji Iwa and they don't really get what Shinji Iwa is definitely not know this is I think an example of that I think it works well enough also probably a little bit too long I, I think it just works because it's uh, very very cute it's so sweet yeah like it's it tries to do nothing else but just chug at your heartstrings, and it's very adaptive doing that. But like, no sooner after they finished, like, I was forgetting large swaths of yeah. the film. It's like incredibly forgettable. I I do think it kind of gets. It has, it does have a, like a theme that sort of works, but then I don't think some of the other parts come together. Um, there's some kind of funny moments, but like they're mostly forgettable. Yeah, this but just sort of existed. I think there's a difference between like a funny moment and a cute moment. That's the thing too, right? Like a lot of them just sort of like oh, connect together. Um, in a number of senses. I give this he just like me for real out of five. <laughs> oh god, you. How, what was the count on that? Uh, six. I had six moments where I was like, oh my god, he just like me for real. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, I will give this then. Oh man, I didn't have anything for this one. Um, I shall give this. That photo was a very good out of five. No, the photo was dreadful. Let's see. Okay, so one of my all-time favorite things in the whole world is like when we're watching Hollywood and like we get to see like uh, for Trash TV and we got to see like snippets of that film that was supposed to be so good it ended racism. Right, it changed Hollywood forever. And then you're watching the film and you're like, this film looks terrible. This is garbage, yes. <laughs> and like that's like the photo. The photo was really bad. To, um, to bring it back to Riverdale, it's like, man, if I could get a copy of Jughead's novel, right? That's I like, know it would be garbage. <laughs> when Jughead got into the MFA writing workshop, uh, the Iowa MFA writing workshop, um, yeah, not great. Um, from there, we then saw your new god, 
um, ladies and gentlemen, Femme, directed by Sammy Friedman and N. Chiang Hu. In Chung Ping. In Chung Ping. Um, tell me about Femme, Chris. Femme is a... So, Femme is the Safety Brothers film that they could never make. Right. Uh, it involves, it, it surrounds a drag artist who is the victim of a horrible hate crime at the hands of the most stereotypical British lives you've ever seen in your life. Played by George McKay. Played by George, yes. Uh, who's really important. Who does a phenomenal job throughout the entire film. Yeah. Oh, he's and concocts an elaborate revenge scheme that plays on the performance of identity, gender, and sexuality which goes as horribly as you assume, but the film is so good at holding that other shoe above your head, waiting for it to drop. Like, you are on your seat through this entire film and just wondering, like, where is this going? How is this going to pan out? Uh, I, yeah, I was kind of enamored with it. Uh, we kind of differed on the ending. We do disagree a little bit. Um, I, you are, I think you are correct that based off how the film is designed it can only end the way it does mm -hmm. um, without spoiling things no spoilers obviously trying very hard not to but I do think I have to mention like the end of the film is, is violent um, here I think I've thought for a long time why it bothered me so much and here's what I think I've come to and I think I don't know how the film works around this but this is a film directed by two people who are not black featuring a black lead mm -hmm. where there are two instances of violence against a black queer man and I felt very uncomfortable about that. Understandably. More than actually the violence itself. Um, and I don't know if the film really does anything about that. I had some weird problems with the fact that his mates are essentially white, right? Uh, except for maybe the lead? Yeah, it's hard the to lead, tell. The like, lead yeah. um, mate of the group. Um, right. But yeah, they're they're coded as white. But they're essentially white dudes, like white white like drug dealer gangster dudes. None of them like have any problem with the fact that he's black. But like if he was gay, they would be like furious mm -hmm. with him. Super bizarre. There's some things that kind of don't really work. The side friend, I think uh, Jules is sort of like queer side friend. Not a fan of that character at all. I don't think that character works. Um, I think it needed more time. I think it needed more time, but the film is kind of so working in a lot of its designs. Um, I think it's a film that I'm probably going to think about a lot more and come to like a little bit more and also dislike other parts of it. Uh, because I do think that as sort of sticking with the theme of Fantasia, this is a film that I think does a lot of things really, really well and is really, really smart, but may not necessarily come together as a whole. Mm -hmm. See, like, I was immediately enamored with it because um, I was just so fascinated on where exactly... Because, uh, like, you, once you were... If the premise was explained to you, you would imagine, like, a, a number of scenarios of, like, okay, these are the only ways that it could end. Mm -hmm. And your brain is just constantly, while watching it, cycling through them, like, okay, where exactly are we going with this? And it's very, it's very adept at keeping you in the dark on what exactly its intentions are. And that's why it's such a desperate balancing act between, okay, are we going to go too far in one or the other direction? And... I don't know, I was really just kind of fascinated by it, more so than I was saying it's a great film. I was just more like, this is saying a lot, and I'm kind of fascinated by how it's saying it. I think, and I think that's totally fair, and I, am all, I think that's why I'm still thinking about it. Like, you are 100% right in the sense of, like, this film 
has a lot to say. It is a text that is inherently about the prison of masculinity. How it does that is really fascinating. Actually, even gender in a number of senses. How it does that is really, really fascinating. Um, there's a number of different metaphors. The fact that Jules plays it is a drag queen, like brings in this other idea of like what's the veneers we have, that when you strip those away, what's left and what's real. Number of different really interesting metaphors. I still don't know if it all works together. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I can see your point where it doesn't really come together at the end, which again, as we're saying, it's a theme of a lot of these films. Uh, it, the funny thing is, this is based off a short film of the same name. Yes. So, like, this is the expanded text from the short, uh, like, trial run of it. So, I don't know. Maybe like their next, the duo's next film will be like a further expansion of it because like, it seems like they have a lot to say on this idea. And I, but and I think the film works is the thing too. Like, my rating is going to be, um, oh my god, party out of five, but, like, actually, it's, it's four, it's four out of five. Like, it's a, this is a really good film. Mm -hmm. I, like, 100%, I think this is going to have a cult following when this does get released. It's been bouncing around the festival circuit, and every festival goes to people are like, this thing rips. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to end up on some streaming platform somewhere, and people are going to be talking about this, like, three years from now, you're going to be at work, and so it's like, have you seen Femme yet? Femme is really good. Right? Like, so, I'm, I'm, like, fully prepared to, um hear out say a queer critic of color to completely disagree with me it's like I'm waiting for that uh, take because I haven't researched any of it like because I wanted to go in blind obviously yeah. so like I'm waiting for that alternative view to really talk me down but as it stands like this was a one like while I was watching it I was like the most engaged in the entire um, in the entire festival I'll give this there's a lot of Street Fighter 5 in this movie out of 5 um, I do think it's interesting you mentioned the queer queer writer of color because I do think at some point we'll get that take. I don't think it's going to be until this gets a release. This is an to put this film at Fantasia in instead of something like TIFF or for a North Amer or NYFF for yeah. a, for a North American premiere is incredibly deliberate on the part of the filmmakers. This is a film that like will play really well here yeah. and may not play super well at other festivals because of, of that. But you can guarantee it's going to get a wide release. Yeah. Like, like there, someone's going to pick this up because how could they not? I, and I think it's, it worked again. Like you're going to have so many people that are like, we see them. Them is really good. In a um, last one I think I have here is Soi Chang's Mad Fate. Yeah, I also have one more, so please, uh, okay. tell me about Mad Fate. Uh, latest Soi Chang film, it's pretty good. Essentially, it's a astrology redemption arc um, in a number of senses. Kind of silly, the action's pretty solid. Very much like another great sort of Hong Kong action film. If that's, a, if that's your thing, I think this is the far preferred version to Sunny Chuba. Uh, to Herman Yao's White, uh, White Storm 3. Um, I give this a... Uh, I'm a Virgo, and some of this bothered me out of five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out to Boots Riley. <laughs> uh, so I concluded uh, my festival up to this point with um, the directorial debut of Kim Jae-hoon, uh, Devils, which is essentially if you took the if you took the premises of I Saw the Devil and Face Off and kind of stripped them of all of the craft, you would get the Devils, which is a really straightforward and kind of interesting action thriller, but it doesn't have the kind of tension or even the willingness to go into full like outrage gore to keep you hooked in. It's just a very it's just a very belabored kind of cop serial killer. They're kind of operating on the same level because of their desperations kind of thing. And it it ends on a frankly awful twist. 
Like I, I it's really hard to like muster any press. kind of enthusiasm to even describe this film because it's all moored in spoiler heavy territory and you don't want to take away anyone's potential of enjoying it. But like you have a good enough time running through it, but again, you've seen this kind of Korean revenge action film before, done so much better with better craft and better interest in actually saying something. It's sort of really interesting because Femme is probably the better film. Femme is the better film, yeah. And yet that got the late night this got the late night slot because you can sell this much easier to people than Femme. Femme is a hard, a film that sort of is hard to describe in a number of senses. Um, oh no, like Devil is high concept. You immediately get it. You get it. Like, yeah, okay, makes sense. Body swapping serial killer, detective movie, Korean revenge drama. Yeah, absolutely. Korean cultural center can put it on. Yeah. Sell lots of tickets. Um, probably, though, is just the concept, I'm going to assume. Oh yeah, like there's no, there's no uh, depth to it. Like, yeah, um, I love that for us. And again, like it makes me sound like such a sicko, but it's like if they went further in one direction and actually attempted to unnerve people with just like the depraved of the the idea would have worked great. Yeah. It, it would have been much better. Like if it went full, because like uh, one of the actors, uh, Zhang Dong Yun, is known for the recent Midnight Madness film, Project Wolf Hunting, right? Which goes that direction into full on horror. Right. And I, I don't think I've ever told you this, but like I attempted to watch that film once when I was stoned out of my mind and had an immediate panic attack and had to crawl over my desk to reach my laptop. So like, no, stop! I can't do it. I can't do this. With the Devils, I think it's it, it's a classic kind of premise, which the film itself makes fun of constantly. Uh, by it, it buys into the own absurdity of its idea, but. Again, it's just lacking that craft, that um, and just that willingness to really explore it to its fullest potentials to be anything other than, say, a Midnight Madness film programmed in the back half. Like this is something that Peter would absolutely put on. Yeah, and I think I think it's a sort of good way to describe something like this. Um, okay, that essentially wraps up what we've seen thus far. Um, do we have anything? Are you seeing anything else this evening? I am. I have made the call, and I'm absolutely going to go see uh, Baby Assassins too. Nice. Good choice. Good I, got, choice. I gotta go see um, Kawaii John Wick Part Two. Nice. I, you gotta do it. Good choice. Um, I am seeing three, despite being sort of very much tired and whatnot. Uh, I am seeing something called Hippo, which I have no idea what this is. I'll figure it out when I sit down tonight, watch this with my partner. Uh, then I'm gonna go see the new Drew, Judy Greer film Aporia, um, which. Uh, is getting a release this Friday, I think. Yes, Again, it is. another one I don't really know the premise of. And then finally, we're going to finish with Where the Devil Roams, um, which is the latest from the group that did Hellbender. The family uh, yeah. uh, filmmaking, filmmaking group. Yeah. I was not a huge fan of Hellbender when it came out. I, was, I can join you in that. Uh, I did not fully see the praise for it. I think, again, my sort of hot take on Hellbender was... It's just wild, simply wild to me that you can make Carrie, but sympathetic to Carrie's mom. Um, <laughs> like, um, but uh, this is, yeah, so I think it should be interesting. I know that that film will play really well here. Um, that essentially wraps up where we're at the festival. Thank you so much. What did you, did you enjoy your time at Fantasia, my friend? Oh, I was, um, 
outside of the one day which uh, laid me out completely. I had an amazing time. Uh, this was a long gestating trip between you and me, Thomas. Yeah, we were like, trying to go for the last three years. <laughs> like, we were talking about this when we were in our master's program together, yeah. and it's like, why don't we just go and do... We'll uh, just take the train. Just yeah. take the train out and do Fantasia. Uh, thank you very much, COVID, for fucking that old thing. And also, like, teaching. And also summer school last two years, which is why we didn't make it out to Montreal. Just life in general. So yeah, I had a great time. I can understand why this is one of the premier um, outsider kind of festivals of the world, even within Canada. Like I, yeah, like I had a great time. The films have been very good. Yeah. Well, good to great with a couple of duds here or there, as you'd expect from a film festival program. Um, yeah, just good times in the city with my bros. Um, lastly, I think it'd be really good for us. I'm going to spring this on you. Let's rank. We need to rank the commercial, the pre-film commercials. Uh, the most important ranking of the festival, I think. Um, all right, number one is obviously the Nongshim Cat, right? Nongshim Cat, yeah. Nongshim Cat. Actually, I have all three Nongshims in one, two, three. No, that's totally understandable. I am in complete agreement with you. Um, Nongshim Cats, Power Ups, uh, Traversing the Globe, and I think I have Traversing the Globe at two. Um, I also have that one. Yeah, two. and What's then the I have one? the third one is the. Uh, the, all of the uh, um, I, uh, iconography, all of the monuments. Yes. Yeah, get really excited about Nongshim. I have that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic advertising uh, strategy from Nongshim. Uh, your favorite part of Devils was the fact that when Nongshim popped up, people went nuts. Again, just the kind of festival uh, goers that you get from Fantasia, they are they immediately get the bits and are so happy to participate and any South Korean film that plays here you run the risk of just initiating a rowdy screening because of Nongshim if you include Nongshim in your film because of Nongshim they're going to cheer like they just saw the coming of Jesus yeah it was great um, I, number four I have Vinegar Syndrome um, so I, vinegar, I love that track yeah Vinegar Syndrome and Arrow are supposed to have booths here in the second week I literally saw them setting up tables in the lobby today, which means we're probably going to miss them like, yeah. by a day, unfortunate. But um, I have Vinegar Syndrome ahead of Arrow on that ranking because uh, Hobgoblins, the Hobgoblin is just a little guy. He's just a little friend. He just wants to eat stuff. It's fine. No, like I, I also have Vinegar Syndrome above uh, the Arrow Video one. Just the fact that Arrow Video has a lot of Jackie Chan footage in it. Uh, I... I just really love the fact that the one shot from Cruel, uh, a th- no, sorry, Thriller or Cruel Thriller Picture, or cruel picture yeah. is uh, the best shot in the entire movie. It's like, absolutely, they know the brand. Um, Desjardins commercials, all bad. Uh, no, sorry, Desjardins commercials, my least favorite, the one we get before every training. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, no, nobody in the audience played along with it and started clapping along to nope. the very generic beat. Which, That's what you're supposed to do, which nobody they, gives a shit. Which is crazy, because that would have happened to Tim. Like... Absolutely. Crazy. Absolutely. Crazy. Would have happened like, to Tim. Happened to Tim. Um, uh, all of the terrible, terrible Videotron commercials. Um, I have uh, Doggy, the one with the dog. Doggy the top. is yeah. the best one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, followed by uh, Apology Cake. Apology Cake is not yeah. bad. Yeah. And then uh, Dad discovering the daughters on a romantic get with the hot boy. That one's pretty funny. Uh, I don't know what any all these are in French. I don't yeah, speak French. Like, so I don't know what's going on. I have of these. So we're both in agreement. Like uh, Teletoon is the worst. Oh, easy, easy the worst, easy the worst. Very bottom. Just like absolutely the worst commercial. The most loud, obnoxious commercial you've ever seen. Where the hell did this come from? Yeah, absolutely dreadful. Um, what else am I missing? I had a list here. Hang on. Uh, Hong Kong. There's a Hong Kong trailer. Hong Kong is fun. That was okay. Uh, or that's a commercial. 
Um, yes, kind of somewhere in the middle. I have the running promo very high, like after Vinegar Syndrome and Arrow. Like the like the this is what Fantasia is. Oh, the one with the uh, Teke Teke yes. song, the supercut. Yeah. Uh, no, that's a great uh, highlight phenomenal, reel. Phenomenal highlight reel, like wonderfully edited, wonderfully designed. Fantasia knows how to market it. Yeah. Uh, I have Mel Hoppenheimer below that. The like, <laughs> the, like Concordia commercial, like which we love Concordia. Thank you for letting us run the thing. I think it wraps up our. Yeah, I, I guess there's nothing, nothing left to say. Um, this has been an on-the-street report from Fantasia. It was probably very loud. We're sorry. Sorry, yeah. We are, as I said, uh, deep into a bar right now, uh, both drinking, both having a great time. Good luck editing this, Chris. Oh, no, don't worry. It's going to go raw. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> at, this point, at this point, you're going to leave the two minutes of us talking about how to do this thing beforehand. You think I'm going to try and like lower the le- levels oh, or anything? Yeah, God, Absolutely no. God, not. God, no. God, um, God, no. So thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a very special one. Uh, if you like what you heard and how could you not, uh, please consider giving us a like, share, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can follow the show on Twitter, or sorry, on X, fuck that shit, at Cartoon Night Pod. Thomas, you got anything for yourself to plug? Where can, um, where can people find your Fantasia coverage? People can find my writing at InTheSeats.ca, um, and my Twitter is at ChiaJongKi. You can also find my Instagram. It is my full name. Uh, or come take a film studies class for me because I teach high school. There uh, you go. <laughs> and uh, as always, you can find myself at Cinema Creek. Uh, Sylvie, who is absent from Fantasia because she hates all forms of genre international cinema. She's going to call her out because she can't argue with me. Uh, you can find her at Sylvie Skeletons on Twitter. And thank you so much. Uh, yeah, we're done here. Meow. Meow. <laughs>